0: This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newport, Massachusetts. Verse 40. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him. And let him go. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we are in various states right now as believers, as citizens, as members of the global family. And we ask that by the Holy Spirit you would help us to take the next step so that we may be unbound so that we may be transformed, so that we may be bearers of light as you are light and peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Early in the pandemic, I looked out my bedroom window one morning, and I felt this sudden inspiration to dig up a portion of my yard in order to plant a garden, a vegetable garden, a victory garden. Now, we are homeschooling our six-year-old Hunter, and therefore I use some of his recess time in the morning and school play in the afternoon for us to have our shovels and to work side by side. I gave Hunter money in order for him to gather rocks in a pail, and for every pail he got a dollar, we then went in the way back and started digging under our compost pile of eight years and found we got 40 wheelbarrows full of rich loam to add. I put a deer fencing all around, purchased seeds and peat pots, and I consulted with a neighboring gardener. It was fun. It was fun preparing, and it was good exercise. But the purpose of preparing the space for this garden is not fun or exercise. The purpose is to grow vegetables. What starts as seeds transforms into a large quantity of food that nourishes people and provides more seeds. In a similar way, the purpose of receiving new life through salvation is not the satisfaction of coming to church or viewing online or contributing time and service and money. The purpose of new life that begins with salvation is this transformation of what was in like a seed nation of what was in like a seed, self-contained. And in that transformation, fruit of the Spirit shows. And there's full participation in God's own likeness. We become like Christ. I don't know if you knew that that was the purpose that God intended when you professed your faith. In Jesus Christ. Now going back to my garden in my eagerness to get going I planted beans the first week of May and peas three days later. Within two weeks the peas had all sprouted. A nothing from the beans. I waited another week. Nothing. I waited another week and I dug up those beans and found that they were malformed. They were stunted. They were still in the ground as if they started and stopped. I'm sure I was the problem. I'm sure I put them in too early, and some cold night killed them. But what about stunted or malformed Christian lives? Is is God the problem or have we not understood how we are to participate in transformation in growth? I'd like today to look at the problem of stunted Christian growth and how it is that we participate in, in transformation and the pace of transformation. The problem, how we participate, and the pace. The problem of stunted Christian growth or malformation is unfortunately quite easy to see. It's been a problem throughout the church's history and it continues today. In a groundbreaking study, David Kinnaman of the Barna Research Group Conducted over years thousands upon thousands of interviews, and in the book Unchristian What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity, he gave his report. This is what he says Most of the lifestyles of born again Christians were st- stat- statistically equivalent born-again Christians were just as likely to bet or gamble, to visit a pornographic website, or take something that did not belong to them, or consult a medium or psychic, or physically fight or abuse another person, or consume enough alcohol to be considered legally drunk, to have said something that was not true, to have gotten back at someone for something that was done. No difference. This report shows that being a Christian does not guarantee that we will become like Christ any more than my placing the beans in the ground guaranteed that I would produce bean plants. Now, how can this discrepancy exist? Particularly when the gospel seed To find our answer, we must begin with a biblical understanding of salvation. Salvation is more than justification. Too often, the doctrine of salvation is reduced to a legal condition we know as justification. Justification occurs when a judge lets off the defendant to go free just as if nothing had been done. Now there's no relationship that's required between a defendant and a judge, just acceptance of the verdict. When salvation is reduced to justification, there's little more that's needed than mental assent that I will be admitted into heaven because your no relationship that's required Just acceptance of God's verdict. Now imagine, imagine that there's a couple expressing their love for one another in their marriage vows, but ever since the wedding, the husband does not talk to his wife. He doesn't spend time with her or show interest in the things that concern her. The wife could ask, do you love me? What if the husband replied, I told you I loved you on the day I married you. If anything changes, I'll be sure to let you know. Now, can you imagine that? You and I know that this man has mistaken a marriage for a marriage license. We know that a marriage is about a relationship. It is not reduced to a legal document. It is not reduced to a legal document that says you are married. Have we mistaken salvation in the same way? Salvation that is only justification from the sentence of God's judgment of sin misses the reason for salvation. It's a restored relationship with God that transforms us from self-contained rebels into friends of God, who respond to God, who reflect the character of Jesus Christ. If we miss this, then we have misunderstood salvation. So let's do just a 101 of the gospel. The biblical story is in four parts. Good creation, then entered creation, then entered uh, the fall. Sin entered the world in a good creation. God's unwilling to let that go, let us go, and has pursued us in redemption. That redemption became manifest in Jesus Christ in order for restoration, the restoration of what God intended. Good creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That word redemption is to buy back. Jesus Christ came into the world to buy us back. In the stories that we find in Luke chapter 15, we find Jesus addressing those who are critical of Jesus' ministry because he's with sinners and Jesus tells them a parable with three parts. And a lost younger son. In each of those expressions of lostness, there is one who pursues. Pursues until there's a finding and a rejoicing because the sheep is next to the shepherd. And the coin is put back into the necklace of the woman. And the son comes into the house. There is Restored relationship. Salvation is redemption that results in a restored relationship, interpersonal, interactive life with God. Listen to how Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount, which is the essence of bringing all of the Old Testament and the Gospel message together. Listen. it concludes this way. Not everyone who concludes this way, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Jesus acknowledges that there was never a relationship. That's how stunting and malformation of Christians occurs. It's misunderstanding salvation by grace. In the 16th century, Martin Luther recovered the good news of God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, spell it out. For by grace you have been saved gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved, justified by grace, not by earning it. After Luther came Christians who thought like this. That means I can go and sin as much as I like and rely on this grace to forgive me. I can remain as I was before, but with the added assurance that the grace of God will cover me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 20th century German pastor, called this misunderstanding, this misapplication, cheap grace. He writes, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the church. It means forgiveness of sins, proclaim the love of God, taught as a conception of God. Grace alone does everything. So everything can remain as it was before. Now, have you ever entertained thoughts like this? The beans that I planted remained as they were before. They did not grow. Do you assume that God's grace allows you to remain without any effort on your part to grow in transformation? Lazarus did not stay the same. He did not stand near the tomb, he kept moving forward. Earning is different than effort. We do not earn our salvation. We participate with it. We do not earn our salvation. We participate with it. This is what we hear in Second Peter 1. We participate with the Spirit. He says, you become participants of the divine nature for this reason. You must make every effort to support your faith with goodness goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, godliness with mutual affection, mutual affection with love. If you do these things, it will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Make every effort to grow. Don't stop. Keep growing. So how do we do we participate in transformation? We need to say that from the whole witness of scripture we can affirm for sure the spirit of god does it all. The spirit of god does it all. We do not have the ability to be transforming ourselves. It's Christ in us. We are transformed as we stay in connection. This is our part, to abide. John 15 says abide, it's a permanent settled union. It means to be present to God. It means to be attached. But this is where stunting and malformation takes place. We find ourselves doing anything, anything religious, besides looking at the face of God in Jesus Christ, besides talking in prayer, besides hearing in Scripture, besides sharing this life that we have with another trusted person. Anything but being that close all the time. But transformation takes place by staying present and attached. My nephew is a pediatric perfusionist. A perfusionist operates the heart-lung machine that is attached to a patient undergoing open heart surgery. The blood is mixed with the right amount of oxygen and carbon dioxide is removed. The blood is pumped back into the body at the right pressure and speed. All this takes place while the surgeon does the wor- surgeon does the work of repairing the damaged heart. I think this is an image of God's spirit at work on the inside of us. The spirit performs the surgery, giving us a new heart, and our part is to remain attached to the life-giving Lord. But the difference in us and a patient is that we're fully awake. We are the ones who choose to remain present and open to God. Now, how how then are we to do this? A sermon is not enough of a vehicle to share it all. But I will say that one who is spiritually formed, is with the Lord now, but his writings show and, and we have enjoyed his presence is Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson says that there are three areas that help us to stay attached. They're acts of attention, prayer. Prayer is when I bring myself to attention before God. Reading scripture, it's an act of attending to God In his speech and action across two millennia, spiritual direction. It's an act of giving attention to what God is doing before me at any moment. Growth is not earned. We are not saved by grace, but it requires effort to remain attached. Do you see? One of the helpful resources is Spiritual Disciplines Handbook by Adele Calhoun. And in it, it begins with what is it that you're desiring? God's planted that desire deep within you. You can respond by having various disciplines that allow you to stay attached to God. I'd like us to look now at the pace of transformation. Really, it begins on whether you remain attached. And every time we detach, we have an advocate who intercedes for us. And in confession, we reattach. It can happen a hundred times in a day where we, oh, I'm not doing my life with you. I'm doing it as if you were in the corner or in the closet or not present at all. Depends on how we attach, and it depends a lot on where we begin. It depends a lot on where we begin. If you looked at my garden today, all you would see are sprouts. It's nothing like when it will come into maturity. Lazarus took small steps, not leaps when he came out of the tomb, but he looked at Jesus And he remained in company with him. We know from chapter 12, he was in the presence of Jesus again at a table. This week has been an excruciating week for all of us as we have witnessed the cries of black citizens for justice and equality. Our nation began as a slave-holding nation. John Newton was a contemporary of George area. John Newton was a ship captain. He transported slaves to the New World. And though his business was lucrative, his life was wretched. And it was in 1748 that during a violent storm at sea, John Newton accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He became genuinely new, but not totally new. He continued to wear the grave clothes, the stench of death. He continued with his business that we know is heinous in the eyes of God for 6 more years he worked with that ship but 6 but 16 years after that conversion he became a priest 24 years after that salvation moment he wrote the best known hymn around the world amazing grace 39 years after he met Jesus and received new life, he wrote an important tract, and the title is Thoughts Upon the African Slave Trade. And in it, he condemned, he condemned the acts that he was involved in. He spoke of what society should look like, and it was Will, William Wilberforce who read the track, who was encouraged to stand as a member of parliament and campaign against... Now, do you see that slow growth is not the same as no growth? A lot depends on where we start. It was C.S. Lewis who wrote in Mere Christianity about late starters, those whose lives have always been remedial. He writes about us like this. They are the lost sheep. Jesus came specifically to find them. And if you are a poor creature, poisoned by a wretched upbringing in some house of vulgar jealousies and senseless quarrels, saddled by no choice of your own with some loathsome sexual perversion, nagged day in and day out by an inferiority complex that makes you snap at your best friends. Do not despair. He knows all about it. You are one of the poor whom he blessed. He knows what a wretched machine you are trying to drive. Keep on. Do what you can. One day, perhaps in another world, perhaps far sooner than that. He will fling it on the scrap heap and give you a new one. And then you will astonish us all, not least yourself, for you have learned your driving in a hard school. The new life of salvation leads to transformation if we remain present, attached to God through the Holy Spirit. Don't stop. Keep growing. I close with this. Ignaz Podarowski, the famous Polish composer, the famous Polish composer, pianist, was the third prime minister of Poland. He signed the Treaty of Versailles that ended World War I. After his political career, he traveled the world as a concert pianist. He was scheduled to perform at a great American concert hall for a high society extravaganza. In the audience was a mother with her fidgety nine-year-old son, weary of waiting for the concert to begin. And without his mother's notice, the boy slipped up on stage, drawn to the Steinway piano. He was taking lessons himself. And he sat down on the stool and began to play chopsticks. The audience began to shout, get that boy from off of there. He heard the uproar from his location backstage and he grabbed his coat and he rushed over to the piano. And reaching around the boy from behind, the master began to improvise a counter melody to chopsticks. And the two of them played together. Poderowski kept whispering in the boy's ear, keep going. Don't quit. Don't quit, son. Don't stop playing. Now, isn't this what the Holy Spirit whispers to us on Pentecost? Don't stop. Keep going. Keep growing. will you He will hold us fast. Let us hold fast to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, take us where we are and make us more more and more like Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.